Hello, this is Annie Catherine, host of the multi-award-winning podcast, Soulful Series. Thank you for joining me as I chat with award-winning authors who have written a memoir or nonfiction motivational book and have an uplifting message to share. Hi, everyone. I am here with Lori James. She is a mother, a caregiver, an author, and transformative coach. And she is here today to talk about her memoir, Sandwiched. Thank you, Lori, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm excited for our conversation too. I just loved your book and I, I can't wait to share this with everyone. So oh, good. I'm just going to jump right in. Please do. So why did you write your memoir? Oh, you know, that's actually kind of a loaded question. Um, my memoir, I never identified myself as a writer as in my 20s, 30s, I like to say my memoir found me and my book found me during a time, a very tumultuous time in my life, when, as your listeners will soon understand, I was sandwiched between raising four daughters, four teenager, teen daughters, my marriage began to crumble and my mother suddenly fell ill. And I would come home from visiting my parents or taking them to a doctor's appointment or hiring a new caregiver. And I would come home and tell my girlfriends and my husband, my then husband, about what the antics of the day were. And, you know, I would laugh. Sometimes I'd cry. Sometimes I'd laugh. But I couldn't make what was happening up if I tried. And my friends and my then husband kept telling me, you have to write this stuff down. Like you can't make this stuff up. And I was like, I can't write any of this down. Like I don't even have time for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so fast forward, you know, three years when things started to calm down, um, I did start writing and uh, it became a very, very cathartic process for me. And it was definitely one of the modalities that helped me heal some of the trauma, some of the experiences that I, I had in my childhood. Yes, yes, I got that from the book. And, and you mentioned the word sandwich there. And so tell us about the title. I, it seems obvious, but how did you, like, when you were writing this, did you come up with it right away, the title? You know, it, it, that's a wonderful question, because I didn't. When I first started writing the book, I, when I was coming home and telling my friends and my then husband about these various stories, I called it the caregiver chronicles, right? And so I didn't title it sandwich and it wasn't until maybe halfway through my first um, draft that I realized, oh no, this is bigger than the caregiver chronicles. This is about the sandwich generation and about people who are still raising their children and also then suddenly their parents need care. And that's when I changed the title to Sandwiched. And I, you know, I immediately went out and, like, you know, grabbed the URL and, uh, you know, researched to see if there was any other books with that title and all that. And so fortunately there wasn't, but yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I've heard the term before, so it's amazing that it was available. I know, right? Well, and I, I did it 
you know, I, I bought that probably three years before my book was actually published. So my I grabbed book. it as soon as I changed that. Yes, that's great. It's perfect. It's a perfect title. So you talk about caregivers. And as I was reading your book, I was like, whoa, you went through a ton of caregivers. Yes. So did you keep track of them? Like, did you count how many you had? You know, I didn't actually count how many I had. And when my first draft, I had so many more caregiver characters in the book. And I real and I had, my first draft was way too many words and I knew I had to cut out words. And so my editor that I was working with said, okay, let's, you know, here's some suggestions. So I ended up cutting out some other caregivers that also pulled some crazy antics. But if I had to guess, I haven't counted, but if I had to guess, I would say somewhere between 40 or 50 through a course of like, four or five years. Yeah. And, and sometimes they would just be, you know, I would go through a caregiver a day, you know, cause I'd like try somebody out and they're like, okay, no, you can't lift my, you can't move my mom from the wheelchair to the bed. So you're out. You, your English isn't as good as you, I thought it was you're out, you know, yes. and you just get a little bit better at it. Yeah. So, you know, you knew exactly what you were looking for after you knew what you didn't want after time you know it took a while yeah it's not easy because I I'm a person that trusts people until they give me a reason not to and that may have not been my best strategy well you have to do what you have to do these are your parents right exactly so I'm sure there are many people that are dealing with caregivers now and yes you being through it uh, what is some advice you would have for someone who's hiring a caregiver? Oh, uh, um, you know, the little red flags, the little concerns, take note of that. Those are, you know, those are little, notice the red flags. There were times when I, as you know, the red flags were there, but I overrode them thinking, oh, this isn't going to be a big deal. And it turned out to be a bigger deal than mm -hmm. I realized at the moment. So listen to the red flags. And two, make sure you really check references. Mm -hmm. I used a national agency, as you know, yeah. and, I, I, and I went through three caregivers with that national agency and then realized that that, and it was a franchise, but the franchise owner did not ever check any references, didn't do a background check, didn't do a criminal check on these caregivers, which I think added to what was happening and why, you know, there were caregivers that were stealing from us and emotionally seducing my dad and drinking on the job. <laughs> well, and that goes back to your trust. You, you trusted the national agency. You yeah. You didn't have any reason not to, but then you started seeing the red flags and you decided to do your own research or you yeah. know, do your own background checks. Yeah. 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 And so that would be one of my biggest suggestions for people. And the other thing is, you know, for companion care, using an agency for companion care or light care is fine. But if you have a parent who has more needs as they get older and they're losing 
their ability to care for themselves. It's so, I found that it made more sense for me to pay the caregivers directly, even if I had to hire them as a household employee, because I wanted the majority of that money to go to the caregiver so I could get better quality care. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot to yeah. deal with. And you it talked is. about in the beginning how, you know, you have, you have daughters, you have your parents, you were, well, you were stay-at-home mom at that point, but there's still a lot that goes into everything. So, um, yeah. but you found time, I think eventually for self-care. Yeah. Okay. So, and I applaud you for that because I don't think many women or, or people in general take time for the self-care. So if you, if there's somebody who needs more self-care in their life now, what, what is your advice? My advice is you have to fill up your own, you have to recharge your own batteries and take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. And we as women are not good at that. And I wasn't good at that either. And, you know, if, if you read my epilogue, it, it caught up to me. And even though I was practicing some self-care, it wasn't, it ended up not being enough in the end to, um, to sustain me. It is so important. And we are our own worst critics. We're so hard on ourselves as women. We want our house to be perfect. We, you know, want our kids to be in the right activities. We try to be super mom and we can do that for a while and we can sustain that for a while, but eventually it does catch up to you. And it shows, you know, it, it breaks down in our relationships with our children, with our husbands. Um, and, you know, it probably had some effect on my marriage. It wasn't the ultimate reason why my ex-husband and I ended up splitting up. I'm sure that it added to it, but, it, it, and I still struggle with it. It's something that I continue to work on and, you know, it's like, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to go lay down. Even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to go lay down and I'm going to rest and I'm going to go meditate or whatever it is for 15 minutes and I'm going to turn off my phone. And it's amazing what that amount of time will do for me personally. Everybody's different. Some people get recharged by going for a walk, but it is so, so important. And it's not just taking care of ourselves physically, like eating right, in my opinion. Eat. Yes, it's important. Eating right is important. Getting enough sleep is important. Taking breaks you know, that work-life balance, all those things are important, but it's also important is to check in with ourselves emotionally. Like what is happening emotionally with, with, you know, whatever, you know, I'm really sad today. Why am I sad? Taking that time to sit and okay, really examining what has happened that is causing me to be sad is, did something happen? Is this maybe something from, past that I still haven't kind of dealt with. Those things are really important because that affects our relationships too. And I don't think we take enough time to, to dig a little bit deeper because it's scary and it's hard. It's hard work. But if you can do some of that work, it is so, so rewarding. 
you will find so much more happiness and joy in your life. And I am proof. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did read your epilogue and I was shocked. So I'm not going to give that away though. <laughs> you have to. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, read so to the end. Yes, to the end. So you have four daughters and yes. it, within those four daughters, you have twins. Yes. So talk about a lot. <laughs> twins oh, are yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> yes, it was a lot of work. Yes. And, um, but I was impressed that you're able to, you know, spend quality time with each daughter. You found out what, what your daughter, each daughter would like. They're yeah. all different. Yeah. And, um, uh, I was amazed by, you know, climbing a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. So, but now they're all out of the house. Yeah. And how are you, how is the relationship now? Are you still spending this time? Or how is, how is the relationship? You know, it's good. I mean, I think with each, they were a little nervous, honestly, you know, with the book coming out and, and I totally understood that. And, you know, I tried to have conversations with them. I think it wasn't as bad as they thought it might be. So that was, you know, because we always, whenever something is happening, we always go to often to the worst case scenario, right? Um, but they also understood why I wrote it and why I needed to write it. I mean, it was just a time that I needed to voice my story. Um, and they understood and they respected that. I think our relationships, I, I love having 20 somethings. It's really a different relationship you they're people they you can have more in-depth conversations with them um and what I've always tried to do even when they were younger and you kind of touched on this is instead of pushing what I think they should do I supported their interests and then whatever their interests were I tried to find something that I also enjoyed as it related to that so one daughter one of my twins was on, for example, one of my twins was on the ski team. I'm a huge skier, love avid skier. And so, you know, we go skiing and, you know, we'll do a ski trip together. Um, I think the common denominator with all of our kids, and I feel very, very fortunate that we've been able to do this, but travel is we've been able to, to do some travel with our kids or with my kids. And that's something I've continued to foster because I think it's just a wonderful way for kids in general or people to understand different cultures, to respect that even though we are different or we may look different, there's so much commonality that we have in this world, more so than I think people, especially right now, want to see right you can have different views that's okay but at the core of it we all want the same thing right mm -hmm. so that is that's something that I've continued to foster and in fact with the holidays coming up we're just talking about and it's just nice because it's just kind of falling into place but three of my four daughters and I are going to be able to go up to the mountains for the better part of a week before Christmas. So I'm super excited about yes, that. That's wonderful. Yeah. I just love that you're still keeping that tradition of traveling at, even yeah. though they're out of the house now. Yeah. And they love it. Uh, so they're, 
they love it and I love it. And so it, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's nice that they still want to do that too. Yes. Cause they could say, no, I want to save my vacation to go with my yeah. friends or my boyfriend or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. So let's go back to your memoir and how long did it take you to write? So it actually took five years and almost like to the month, the month that I started writing my first scene to the month I turned it in to my publisher, it took five years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And because you had a lot going on. Um, of course I always thought it was going to take less time. Right. Cause you always think that, you know, um, I think it was, a, well, it, it was a process. Yes. I didn't, I, I wasn't a huge writer. I mean, I was a stay at home mom. I stayed mm-hmm. home to raise my kids. What was I writing outside of PTA emails, negotiating carpool days. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, that was about all I was doing during those times. And so I chose to put myself into courses like an intro to memoir writing and then an intermediate memoir writing class. And then I found this program out of the Bay Area. So I think it took time for me to learn how to write, learn how to write scene, learn how to write takeaway, learn how to, um, to write summary. And, um, And then it took a couple of edits, you know, as I said earlier on, my first draft was, you know, 125,000 words. There was way too much in there and I knew it. So I had to go back and refine it. And then, you know, so it's a, it's a process and that does take time because I was still, you know, I had kids. I would, I'll just give it away because I already did. I went through a divorce um, while I was writing it. And so it, as well as I'm not a person that can sit down and write for eight hours straight. Mm -hmm. Like I'm good for about two to three hours. And then I just need to take a break. And also when you're writing those really difficult personal scenes, Mm -hmm. those are, sometimes I would only be able to write for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then I would have to just remove myself and then come back to it later. Yes, I I understand that. Yeah, it takes a lot out of you emotionally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the hardest part of writing your memoir? Mm. You know, there were several when I, there were several, but the one that really stands out is when I was finished with my first draft. I realized that the ending that I had written was not my ending to my story. And I had to make a huge empowering decision at that time because I knew what my ending was, excuse me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which required me to leave my marriage. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I left my marriage that I was really able to write, really be true to myself. and do what I needed to do to write a wholehearted story. Yeah. So did you have to go back and change parts of the book? Yeah. Uh, You know, leaving my marriage, it it allowed me to 
be a little freer. And that, and that's again, why it took longer too. I was able to add a little bit more peace about what was happening in my marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, the first ending didn't have me leaving my marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to add more. So people really understood that trifecta of these three pieces that were, that were happening. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that now, now that you say that the ending was different. Hmm. Yeah. First, yeah. Oh, so, um, so what do you want readers to take away from your memoir? You know, what I'd really love for the readers, my readers to take away is that life is what happens when you're busy planning, right? The title of my book, holding on and letting go. Sometimes you have to let go of the life you planned Mm -hmm. or the life that you think that you want in order to really be, to have the life that you belong to. And that took me a long time is to work through the things and really understand why I stayed in my marriage for as long as I did when it wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and being able to let go and being able to have this other wonderful life that I would never have been possible if I would have stayed. Yeah. Well, that's really good advice. Yeah. And listen to the, listen to the nudges of life, the universe, like they're constantly giving us messages, right? Even if it's, you lose your job for some reason, right? which is horrible and you feel awful because then you feel like you've done something wrong. But if you can turn it around and say, okay, this happened for a reason, what, you know, letting go of that, what does that make room for? Yeah. Right. And looking at it with a little bit different perspective and just being open to what comes into your life after that. And it's amazing. Oftentimes life, universe, God, whatever, you know, higher power you believe in brings us what we're meant to have if we're willing to trust and listen. Yeah, you're, I, I love that message. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Okay, so now tell us where people can buy your book. People can buy my book at any of their local bookstores. They will have to order it through their bookstores. You can buy it on Amazon. It's available on Kindle and or Barnes and Noble, any major outlets or any local bookstores that you'd like to support. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for being with me today and discussing your memoir. It was beautifully written and thank I, you. I, I recommend it highly to anybody who wants to read it. Thank you, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Yes, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Soulful Series is hosted by me, Annie Catherine. Soulful Series is a Vienna Studios production produced by Vanessa Ferlano. Music by Vanessa Ferlano. Catch you next time. Part of the ACAST community.